Hey, everybody. It's so good to be with you all. Um, so we're, we are finishing up this little series on shame, and I wonder what you've made of it. I wonder whether um, you felt uh, when you first heard that oh, we're doing a series on shame, as one of the young adults at uh, Woody Central said to me, oh, that's a bit intense, isn't it? Um, and is it? Is it a bit of an intense subject for church? Not very joyful, maybe. Well, I think it is. I think it's an, a huge message of hope um, in a world that's struggling with shame in lots of different areas. The very first thing I want to do is play for you a video that if you were at the Thanksgiving evening, anyone at the Thanksgiving evening on Tuesday? A few of you, right? Well, I'm sorry you've seen this video, but it's only three minutes long. Do you think you can cope with that? Yeah? good. And the rest of you, this is just a part of a story of my friend Roz, who was baptized at Highgrove last last week. And I think she's got an amazing story. So have a look at this and uh, I'll be back in three minutes. Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) It really is an amazing story. And you know, our stories are dynamite. Hidden in people's lives are stories of encounters with God that deal with and tackle some of the greatest issues that we've got in society. And to be honest, an encounter with God is the only thing that would have solved the issues and things that Roz was dealing with by her own account. The story is much longer than that. It's just a little snippet. But Roz, by her own account, was so full of self-loathing and shame that there was no wet, nothing could budge it. And she got got the shock of her life when she encountered God. And something changed in her life that is permanent and irrevocable, and it's dynamite. And your story is dynamite too. And it's dynamite not because you've come to a lovely church where you've got a great community and lots of friendly people around you, though that is something society desperately wants, isn't it? Community like this. It's not dynamite because um, we've got kind of lives that look successful. It's dynamite because it's the only solution. God's salvation story in your life is the only thing that tackles the deep issues of our lives. It's the only thing that overturns the dark mantle of shame. And that is why, yes, it's intense to talk about it, but that is why it's so important to talk about and have a narrative and understanding in our own lives of how God gets to the heart of things. And so we're going to wrap up this little short series um, by looking, we're going back to the Genesis 3 scripture passages um, in a moment, which, uh, you know, they're very familiar to many of us who've kind of been on this journey a long time, the story of the fall of humanity. Surely the most depressing story in the Bible, right there at the introduction. Surely, what a nightmare to begin the story of God and human beings with these things. But before we go there, I just want to remind you of the story in the Gospels, of, in John chapter 8, of the woman caught in adultery. So if you're not familiar with the story, there's this moment in the scriptures where Jesus comes out of the temple one day and the crowds are around him. It's at the height of his popularity and the crowds press around him. And suddenly the crowd parts and the church leaders, the religious leaders, 
bring a woman and throw her at the feet of Jesus and say, what do you want to do with her? She's been caught in the very act of adultery. And uh, everyone in the crowd is looking at this woman. And the story goes that Jesus bends down and he writes in the dirt and he he does this. It says here, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept on badgering him because the voice of shame badgers us. It says, look, look at this person, expose them. This is a woman who I'm sure didn't intend to be exposed, but she's living out her worst nightmare and your worst nightmare. Think of the things that you would hate anyone to know about you. Imagine being on a stage with the spotlight and your worst thoughts and feelings and motivations being written all over the outside of your body. That's what's happening to this woman. And the gospel writer here is saying, look, this is what happens when shame encounters Jesus. This is what happens. You know, human beings, we love to shame other people. Point the finger and it points away from ourselves. But what does Jesus do? He points his finger in the dust. And if you look, there's many paintings of this scene. There's one that's particularly striking by Rembrandt. I haven't got it. But in in this Rembrandt painting, drawing, he has Jesus drawing in the dust. And every eye is turned upon the writing in the dust. And the woman, no one's looking at her. Because ultimately, Jesus takes the attention off our shame, and he wants to deal with it. So it says that uh, Jesus straightened up, and he said, The sinless one among you, go and throw the first stone. And bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. Interesting detail. Maybe when you've been around a while, you know. You know? The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. I'm not going to preach about this passage other than just to mention it, but it is an amazing passage. It is what it looks like when Jesus encounters somebody who's done something shameful. It's you and it's me. (laughs) When we are ashamed, what does he do with our shame? So is there anything in your life, as a question, what is the hardest thing to be honest about in your life? What would it be? Bit of a moment of self-reflection there. I'm not going to ask you to tell anyone, but why is it hard? And are there any consequences that you're living with around keeping that thing hidden? I'm just going to leave that question hanging there. Because sometimes our motivation to hide things is so powerful that we don't even examine the consequences of all the effort it takes to keep things hidden. And for Roz, in her life, she would say that she led a defended life till she was 58. Till the moment she met this friend at work, basically. She had every defense mechanism up like a barrier around her. And it was brilliant. It worked. She learned how to not get hurt. And you and I do that exact thing, don't we? We learn how to defend ourselves. And you know what? Although this is an issue and a topic that young people are really good at talking about, 
shaming. The narrative is there in schools and, you know, we talk about it now. Actually, you older people have here, there's a few of you, <laughs> I'm in that generation too, we're not so good at this. You know, we learned how to cover up back in the day, decades ago, and some of us have lived with our defense mechanisms for 58 years or more. And we're really good at it. Defense becomes habitual. And so I'm asking you, even at the late stage of your life, if you're a bit older, are you still open to God peering beneath the surface of your defenses and helping you out of those places that you have become actually trapped in or so used to, you no longer know what it looks like to be free or even have a scent of it. So, shame. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. We say it all the time, don't we? We love that phrase, life in all its abundance. I actually don't think that means happy all day long. I'm not happy all day long. I'm not at peace all day long. I'm not filled with joy all day long. Really, I'm not. But I do think that I am awake. Are you awake? (laughs) Awake to life, an abundant life, the possibility that there's more. And I actually think, you know, is it too bold to say, I think only Christians who have encountered Jesus and know, have a salvation story, a real, genuine, transformational salvation story, are truly awake, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically awake, knowing that there's more to life, knowing that there's always a journey to go on, knowing that God's always saying something to you and me today. He's always speaking, always wanting to restore and transform you. Even on your dying day, there will be an opportunity for you to encounter God and be transformed by his living power. And I really believe that. Otherwise, if it's not true, I'm going home and I'm packing up. I'm going to be a gardener in that lovely garden. Because that's the only hope that there is, that there's ongoing transformation. Now, science tells us, that, well, Brené Brown very famously has researched uh, shame for 15 years. She defines it as this, an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Now, some of us have direct access to that sort of sense, you know? Yeah, I feel it. I'm flawed and everyone hates me. Some of us are so well buffered against that. We're like the young guy that I spoke to in a service at Woody's a few weeks ago, and he said, shame? I'm not ashamed. I'm really proud of who I am. And then I just asked him, you know, is there anything you would not like people to know about you? And he said, oh yeah, definitely. That's shame. (laughs) The vulnerability that we feel around exposure. What do we not want to be exposed in? What do we not want people to know about us? What is that feeling of vulnerability? Well, the Bible talks about guilt and shame and conviction of sin. And some people have said the idea of guilt is that I've done something wrong. But the idea of shame is more there's something wrong with me. Because I've done stuff, there's something flawed and wrong with me. And I can't get out of it. For some of you, shame is a triggering word because you know exactly how shame took root in your life. For some of you, it's stuff that's been done to you. And it's way back. 
and you've learned to live with shame and its consequences. Science tells us that shame isn't just an emotion, it's a body hijack. It takes over. Think about it. If you feel embarrassed, even just slight embarrassment, going red, feeling hot, blushing, sweating, time slowing down. Ever had that feeling when you feel exposed and all of a sudden it's like, the time, it feels like it goes on forever and you're completely in the spotlight. What is that? That's physical. It's fascinating. And there's loads of studies on it, how the, the link between something somebody says to you that causes emotional Um, an emotional response, and then your body gets hijacked and you're stuck and triggered. And this Genesis story that we're going to read now is not the most depressing story in the Bible, I don't think. It is filled with hope. It's laced with it. It's interwoven into this desperate moment in the development of the human race There's the God story that is unfolding even as the fall is happening. You know, in the book of Peter in the New Testament and in the book of Revelation, Jesus is described as the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. What does that say to you about God's plan for creation? Slain before the creation of the world. It's talking about something that outside of time somehow God's plan for salvation was unfolding even as it was all coming, falling down. And I think we need to know this in the church at the moment, globally, where we have some real challenges. We have some shame stories circulating. We have some great leaders that we have loved and admired whose lives are now wrecked as their stories have come out and as things are unravelling. We need to know that even while our lives are unravelling, even while painful things are coming out for people, not just for perpetrators, but survivors as well, even while the stories are unravelling, God is sowing the seeds of salvation and restoration. So let's listen to this story. Now, Jewish ears listening to this story would over and over again would know it off by heart and they wouldn't be thinking, well, this is the story of the six-day creation. I don't think that's what they would be thinking. They'd be thinking, this is our story. This is the story of the human race. This is the story of the conflicts that arise and come round our lives all the time. It's the story of the Jewish race in and out of exile, battling with a dark power that wants to challenge and disorder and fragment their relationship with God. So that's what we're hearing when we hear the Genesis story. So let's read it again. It's familiar to you because we've been reading it last three weeks. Genesis chapter 3. Then the eyes of both of them, this is Adam and Eve, the two humans in the garden, were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You looked at that last week with Nancy. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What a nightmare. He's coming. And they hid from the Lord God. Of course they did. Among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. 
And he, God said, who told you that you were naked? Notice no one's told them that. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam, it goes on to say, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So there's the story. (laughs) And it's, yeah, it's hard reading, I think. But I'm just going to say, pull out three points. First one is this, where God says, who told you that you were naked? And you know what no one did? Because no one has to tell us that. It's part of the human condition, isn't it? That vulnerability, the exposure, the sense of nakedness under scrutiny. It's why we hide. And we're so good at hiding because we hate being naked. Who told you you were not attractive enough? Who told you you were not successful enough? Who told you that you were working a bit under par at work and other people were going to overtake you? Who told you that you had to do certain things to be loved? Who told you that you had to behave in a certain way to be respected? Who told you to defend yourself? Who taught you how to do it? Who told you that you're alone and not worthy of love? Maybe no one. But your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit instinctively circulates around this idea that you and I are vulnerable. Here's some signs that we might be subject to this sense of being naked and vulnerable. Worrying about what other people think of you. Feeling rejected and inadequate and a failure. Worrying we're not respected. Worrying about performance, being perfectionist, feeling like an outsider, trying to hide or be inconspicuous, fear of intimacy, hiding behind humor. All of those are very human things. And you know, men and women, they separate out slightly in in an average way into the areas that they struggle with. Brené Brown says that women tend to struggle more. Women and teenagers tend to struggle more with the way that they look. That's an area of vulnerability, an area of shame. Men tend to struggle more with feeling inadequate or weak or fearing that they look weak or not together. But there's this massive overlap because we can all feel all of those things. And I just want to say something. You've had three women talking about shame. That's classic. (laughs) It's not necessarily a mistake because we're good at it. We're good at knowing it. We're good at spotting it. But men, you don't get off the hook because this is your story. Genesis 3 is not for women or teenagers. It's for humans. And you need to know this, that you have a battle with shame. You just might not be very in touch with it. And you might be more defended than your average woman. (laughs) 
So, and what we heard last week and what we looked at last week is this idea that they grabbed, these two human beings grabbed the first thing to hand, the fig leaves, and under pressure they grabbed them, these flimsy coverings, they hastily assemble something. And um, I just want to ask you, what do you do under pressure? What do you grab? What's your default? What's your fig leaf? Run away? Are you a runner? Hiding in the kitchen at parties, that sort of thing? Always exiting before you can be exposed? What about checking out, shutting down, withdrawing emotionally, still present in the room, but shut down? If you're a shut down person, you're feeling vulnerable. What about criticizing other people and gossiping? That's so good at deflecting, isn't it? When you criticize somebody else for a little while, the spotlight's off you. That's another sign that you're dealing with shame. Think not? What about anger? Anger's a brilliant defense mechanism in the moment because it just gets everybody away from you and puts all the shutters up and you create a little eggshell zone around you. And honestly, it's not it's not a gender-linked thing, but men are good at this. <laughs> Women have other things they're good at. Being a bit manipulative, maybe. I mean, these things are generalizations. I don't want to make a generalization that you then shoot me down for. There's a massive overlap. But, you know, this eggshell zone, if you're, if you're a person who uses anger to get people to back off, even if you apologize, afterwards the eggshell zone remains, just so you know. And they're still going to be stepping on the eggshells because it's really horrible walking into that zone. But it's a good defense mechanism. It's a fig leaf, though. What about controlling everything? Is that you? Feeling so anxious, got to control absolutely everything. Fig leaves stand for what we turn to when we're feeling vulnerable, exposed, and battling with a shame in the deepest places in our soul that says, I'm not okay and I'm not worthy of love and affection and belonging. I'm not okay. I heard somebody said to me, you know, fig leaves cause photosensitivity. If you don't know what that is, it's basically some plants, if you touch them, it's fine while you're touching them, but when you're exposed to sunlight, it can cause blistering and redness of the skin. Fig leaves cause a really serious form of photosensitivity. And, you know, there's lots of documented articles about these, with these children who who have played with fig leaves and then they come up with all these blisters and it takes a while for the body to recover because fig leaves are fine in the dark when everything's hidden but when you're exposed it starts to harm you the light brings it out and that is what happens when you come into contact with Jesus Christ He will be relentlessly drawing you into the light to deal with your stuff. My question to you is, are you up for it? Because if you want the abundant life, it's got to be at every level. So what are the instincts that you turn to that you could have a serious talk with God about? Because that way is the way into freedom. There's a cost to hiding. There's a cost to leading a defended life. For my friend Roz, the cost was loneliness. She never had one 
friend that got beneath the surface until she started to let the barriers down. She was deeply lonely and hated herself. She's free of that to a large extent. Because what we hide behind can end up defining our lives. If it's anger that we hide behind, we become an angry, bitter person. If it's unforgiveness and bitterness, the hardening of your heart towards people that have hurt you, then that's what you become. If you numb, then you become numb. Brené Brown says you can't selectively numb. You might think you can numb the area of pain, but you become a numb person, and it cuts you off from life. And the cycles go round and round and round. And it can become very dark. It can become a place where the enemy can speak into your life that you're hated and you're not worthy of love and belonging. And even when you become a Christian, if these things remain undealt with, unresolved areas of our lives, then they will crop up in our relationships within church and even in our relationship with God. The very person that we've turned to for love and for healing, we can feel cut off from because he needs and wants to get down beneath the surface of things. But we're called to lead authentic lives, lives that are open books, Now, this is not an easy thing to do, honestly. You know, because we've, for one thing, we've got a culture based on shame, haven't we? Outside the church and within the church. In fact, the church has traded over the centuries on a culture of shame. You know, it's been used as a way of controlling people and we desperately want to look good. We want to look like we've got it all together And the problem is, is that the hidden things in our lives eventually can trip us up. And God is calling us to be authentic and to be a place where people can come and see other vulnerable people and know that it's safe to let their guard down and and be open about their stuff. There's no hope for somebody like Roz or for the recovery community or for any of us to actually deal with our stuff if we can't admit that we feel shame, that we have struggled. I know that for me, in my life, one of the most significant moments in my life was very early on in my journey, in my 20s, where I basically, I was in a relationship, I was going to be married, and I found out just before, seven weeks before the wedding, when the invitations were about to go into the post, that this person had been lying to me, and that everything that we'd built our relationship on was actually a bit of a lie. And I felt so foolish. I ended it, and you know, I'm glad now. <laughs> but um, at the time, it was just, it was awful. It was like my whole life was unraveling. And the main thing I can remember about that time was this feeling of being um, just looking so foolish, looking like a rejected person looking like someone that could make it to the altar. And I just remember this feeling, a feeling so stupid that I'd fallen for it. That's shame. And, you know, what happened was we... What I decided to do that summer, that nightmare summer, was I went on a mission trip. I lost... decided to lose myself in a a mission trip. So we went... I went to Italy with the charity Horizons, an evangelistic organization back in the day. And on the day of my, what would have been my wedding, August the 8th, 1984, um, 
I woke up about six o'clock in the morning and I, I sort of just was ping, wide awake. And um, I thought, this is my wedding day. I am jilted. <laughs> I'm the person who couldn't, you know, I was, was feeling like that. And I got up and I went outside. We were staying in a, it's a long story, a derelict house on the top of a mountain in Italy, in Tuscany. And I went out and I went up the garden. There was a rock at the top of the garden, which was sort of like the peak of the mountain. And I climbed up onto this rock and I sat there as the sun rose. And I talked to God about my life. And I, I kind of asked God, what have you got for me? I'm just, this, what I felt like was there was nothing. There was nothing for me. And I opened my Bible and it opened on 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where it says, sorry, this always moves me talking about it. Blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort others with what we have received. And in that moment, I felt the comfort of God. I felt him meet me. And not only that, I felt him commission me. I felt like he was saying, out of this experience, out of your shame, I didn't use that word back then, out of what you've experienced, I'm going to teach you what it's like to receive me into the heart of the darkness and the pain and all that sort of thing. And out of that, you are going to find a ministry. And I did. You know, I, over the years, what I have found is, you know, the last 35 years since then, I have felt God call me into that place of comfort and meeting people in the places of darkness and helping lead people into a place of light because I am convinced that's what God wants to do with our stories of shame and pain and vulnerability and exposure. He wants to take what is dark, what the enemy has done for evil, and turn it into a weapon that pierces the darkness because that only Jesus Christ can do that in our lives. No one else can. No shame treatment, no secular psychology can actually turn the story upside down and use it as a weapon to pierce the darkness. And he wants to do that with you, with the things that are in your life that are dark. Maybe there's something that you're struggling with. Maybe it is shame around something that's happened to you, something that's been done to you. And it's really hard to talk about it, and it's understandable. But in the opening up of your life, God wants to reach in there and heal you and use that story. And it's really hard sometimes, because some of the stories are so hard. You know, there's so much more in Ros's testimony that you can read, actually, on Whole Minds, the website, some of it is so much more dark than, than that. But there's something has happened where this story has become a weapon. Maybe there's something you're battling with that you're doing. Maybe you're addicted to something. And it's so hard to talk about it. But we are desperate for people who can use their stories, their battles with addiction and overcoming to help other people walk out of prison cages, prisons. 
We're desperate for people who've got a testimony of overcoming or even somebody who can come alongside and say, I know it's really hard, I'm battling too, but I am heading towards Jesus. So whatever it is, in the darkness, we are called to lead these authentic lives. And throughout the Gospels, that's what Jesus does, isn't it? You see him all the time. Think of the people that he encountered, that he turned their stories into weapons. Zacchaeus, you know, money-grabbing, hated, you know, a defended person, full of shame, climbing up a tree to see Jesus because he couldn't be accepted in the crowds and he was too short. (laughs) But, you know, what happens? He becomes the most generous person. The story is turned on its head. Peter, who becomes so brave out of his cowardice, is turned upside down. Paul, who hated, that's a dark story turned into a weapon, a sword to pierce the darkness. So what has God got for you to pierce the darkness? Authenticity is the only option. Dealing with our stuff. I'm just going to finish with these words from Hebrews. Now, there's two slides here. And the first one is very familiar to us. If you go to this thing, this is This is like a well-known and much-loved description of the Bible, how the Bible gets to the heart of things, to the darkness inside us. And it says that, and it's, but it's, it's a hard passage. It's like, wow, I don't want that. That's going to expose me. Here it is. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Please don't do that to me, God. It judges, oh no, the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. What a nightmare. (laughs) Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Immediately, the next paragraph describes the heart of God. Let's read it. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, just as we are. Yeah, he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because God is not just wanting to expose us. He wants us to experience his grace, his freedom, his help, his mercy. It's guaranteed his mercy is. And so that's where I'm going to end with a bit of a challenge, really. And what I suggest is that you go and have a talk with God. (laughs) If this has pressed any buttons, any sense of anything historic that needs to be dealt with, anything that Esther and Nancy have been talking about the last couple of weeks, what is it that where you feel vulnerable, what is that question, the answer to that question, what do you not really want people to know about you? And it doesn't mean to say that you have to get up on the stage next week and tell everyone what it is. But at the very least, you might want to say to God, okay, God, let's talk. What is that? What's its origin? Why do I do that? What is underneath it? Why do I feel vulnerable there? Why do I hate myself? These things have got to go because the church worldwide is desperate for authentic Christians who are living the life, transformed, on a journey with God, being honest, open, truthful. Because actually, I'll just finish with this thought. The story 
of our struggle with shame is also the story of how God meets us in our worst hour with unconditional acceptance, redeeming love and the power to heal. Your story, my story, has got a happy ending. And you know, over the years of praying with people and doing prayer ministry, I've noticed that what Ros said, you know, it's like her worst thing that had ever happened to her in her life when she got conned out of all her money. But she said it's the best thing that ever happened to her. Only God can do that. Only God can turn something that is a nightmare in your life into a good news story. There's nowhere else that we can turn to for that kind of redemption and healing and, and, and uh, acceptance. So I'm going to pray. And, but really, beyond prayer, it's over to you to do some searching, I think. And to say to God, is there anything in here, in the darkness, that you could use as a weapon to pierce the darkness in somebody else's life? So, Father God, we come to you in this moment of just hearing your story, your story. Genesis 3, story of the first death, pointing to the death of Jesus the story of the fall, the story of the shame that settled into the human race and the most insightful, hope-filled story of you saying, where are you? I'm coming to get you. Where are you? And I just say that to you now, wherever you are. God's saying to you, where are you? I want to meet you. And I want to give you something to cover you that is not going to burn you in the future. And for some of you, I just sense that God is showing you the burn marks, the ways that some of the things that you have used to defend yourself, some of the narratives you tell about yourself, some of the things that have happened to you that have actually, in the darkness, been okay for for a limited time but have caused you harm. I think that God is showing you some of those things and I pray for you. I pray that the Spirit of God would descend on you now and open your eyes to see the way out of the darkness. I thank you, Jesus, that you take our lives and you transform them into weapons that pierce the darkness. So we pray, come, come Holy Spirit. Come as we go back into worship. We want to hear your voice to meet with you to find healing. Come, Holy Spirit. Come.